0: Ensure your next purchase is a real deal and shop authentic handbags, watches, sneakers, streetwear, and jewelry from eBay, backed by Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity, like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, They're best when they're bundled, too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hi, you're listening to The New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Kevin Young, poetry editor of The New Yorker magazine. On this program, we invite a poet to choose a poem from The New Yorker archive to read and discuss. Then, they read a poem of their own that's been published in the magazine. Today, my guest is Evie Shockley, the author of six poetry collections, and the Zora Neale Hurston, distinguished professor of English at Rutgers University. Her honors include the 2023 Shelley Memorial Award from the Poetry Society of America, a Landon Literary Award, the Stephen Henderson Award, and twice the Hurston Wright Legacy Award in Poetry. Evie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: It's my pleasure. Thanks, Kevin.
1: So the first poem you've selected to read is Hattie McDaniel Arrives at the Coconut Grove by Rita Dove. What drew you to this particular poem while you were looking through our archive?
0: Wow, um, many things. I mean, the first of which is just that I'm a huge fan of Rita Doves and have been for a long time. Uh, I always loved her work but uh, there's like a a personal connection now because my sister and her family live in Akron where she grew up and so I think uh, I I think of her as a kind of patron saint uh, of my nieces (laughs) Um, but seriously the poem itself is just one that I have loved since the first time I saw it and um, heard her read it it's it's got I think some of the classic Rita Dove characteristics, um, this elegance and poise and dash, and it just draws you in. It's beautiful language and a sort of a, a lovely take on histories that are not entirely lovely, right?
1: Well, I can't wait to hear it. Let's listen to the poem. This is Evie Shockley, reading Hattie McDaniel Arrives at the Coconut Grove by Rita Dove.
0: Hattie McDaniel arrives at the Coconut Grove, late, in aqua and ermine, gardenias scaling her left sleeve in a spasm of scent, her gloves white, her smile chastened, purse giddy, with stars and rhinestones clipped to her brilliantine hair, on her free arm, that fine Negro, Mr. Wonderful Smith. It's the day that isn't, February 29th, at the end of the shortest month of the year, and the shittiest, too, everywhere except Hollywood, California, where the maid can wear mink and still be a maid. Bobbing her bandaged head and cursing the white folks under her breath as she smiles and shoes their silly daughters in from the night dew. What can she be thinking of, striding into the ballroom where no black face has ever showed itself except above a serving tray? Hi, hat, Hattie, Mama Mac, her haughtiness, the little lady from Showboat, whose name Bing forgot. Beulah, and Bertha, and Melina, and Carrie, and Violet, and Cynthia, and Fidelia, one-half of the dark Barrymore's. Dear Mammy, we can't help but hug you, crawl into your generous lap, tease you with arch-innuendo, so we can feel that much more wicked, and youthful, and sleek. But oh, what we forgot! the four husbands, the phantom pregnancy, your famous parties, your celebrated icebox cake. You giggle above the red petticoat's rustle, black girl and white girl walking hand in hand down the railroad tracks in Kansas City, six years old. The man who advised you, now that you were famous, to begin eliminating your more common acquaintances and your reply catching him square in the eye that's a good idea i'll start right now by eliminating you is she or isn't she three million dishes a truckload of aprons and head rags later and here you are poised between husbands and factions no corset wide enough to hold you in your huge face, a dark moon split by that spontaneous smile, your trademark, your curse. No matter, Hattie, it's a long, beautiful walk into that flower-smothered standing ovation. So go on and make them wait.
1: That was Hattie McDaniel arrives at the Coconut Grove by Rita Dove, which was published on the May 10th. 2004 issue of The New Yorker, and again, in the August 29th, 2022 archive issue. Well, what a wonderful reading of a wonderful poem. And we also have Mr. Wonderful Smith in the poem, (laughs) (laughs) among other figures. And I love that list in the middle. Showboat whose name break Bing forgot Beulah and Bertha and Melina and Carrie and Violet and Cynthia and Fidelia. One Lovely. half of the dark Barrymore's. I mean, so good.
0: Lovely. I mean, it gives you a sense of all the women around Hattie McDaniel, right? That's
1: right. Who she both embodied and, um, you know, made her own, but also was limited to in some way. And I think uh, Dove really captures that complexity that she both brought to those roles and was faced with. Uh, She's one of my favorites um, from that time. And, you know, I really think that uh, her and Louise Beavers, I mean, to me, these are are people who knew how to do a lot of complicated things with limited roles uh, and brought humanity to inhumane conditions.
0: Exactly. It's a a delicate balancing act, this kind of... um you know, how do you make a living? What are you willing to take in order to sort of wedge the door open just a little bit more? Um, I think about other characters, male characters from that period, Step and Fetch It, for example, who I think maybe are, are not even given as much grace as we give Hattie McDaniel and Louise Beaver, like you said, for... Kind of doing what they felt like they had to do. Where would we be if they hadn't done these roles? Um, It's not clear. But they brought their sense of self. They brought more to the characters than was written into the scripts.
1: Sure. Sure. I love this moment where she says, it's the day that isn't. February 29th, at the end of the shortest month of the year. And the shittiest, too, everywhere, except Hollywood, California. A little bit of humor, a little bit of naughtiness, even, you know, a little cursing, uh, which we don't necessarily expect in this kind of rhinestone, brilliantine world. And I think there's something about that, that Dove also captures in one of her most famous lines, if you can't be free, be a mystery, Uh about Billie Holiday. And here... She's visiting something, I think, a little like that, but a little different. It's its its own poem. And there's something about that arrival. You know, mm-hmm. she makes it into a different kind of arrival. She's, arrived. She's um, arrived. How do you take that? And how do you feel like it comes up, poetically speaking?
0: I mean, just thinking about the lines you, you read there, the shortest month of the year and the shittiest, too. I mean, you hear her not just making jokes, but also uh, making rhymes. And all of it wrapped up in this month that we are tied to, Black History Month, where we are granted the opportunity to to kind of focus in on these things. Um, I, I would say the poem is an example of how that history spills over the edges all the time. It She arrives, and it it can only be, you know, a few minutes, um, this passage, but we get so much time passing within the time of her walk. Um, This arrival has been a long time coming, just in the sense of the Oscars, and there's a long future still ahead uh, of this walk to something Well, I mean, something that we still haven't achieved, a kind of a real equity or full representation in the movies. But she, she lets McDaniel move through that moment larger than life as she was in life, so to speak. And the poem, with all of its beautiful details, is also larger than life. And yet there's this sense of containment Mm-hmm. Um, the corset that barely can contain her, the, the short month that can barely contain this history. Yeah, um, I like to think of the poem as kind of bookended between rhymes. Mm-hmm. Um, the title is the first line of the poem, but the first word of the body proper is late, and it ends with wait, and, <laughs> and in between is just everything.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that distance, uh, it's a long, beautiful walk, and the poem itself has that. It has a kind of... Prominating quality. It isn't scared to take a moment to describe a moment, but also right. to sort of invoke and and move a moment. For me, that is hearing you read it. Really stuck out is this moment where she says, "As she smiles and chews their silly daughters in from the night dew, dot dot dot. What can she be? Break thinking of." whoa (laughs) what a beautiful line break and then striding into the ballroom break where no blackface has ever showed itself break except above a serving tray (laughs) and all (laughs) those moments it's unfolding for us right you know she's striding she's not supposed to be there except you know it kind of almost falls through these different levels and i think a good poem does that And the enjambment, which is literally, as you know, throwing a leg over the line that turns, what can she be, break, thinking of, you know, she's literally enjamming herself into this uh, Mm -hmm. setting. So there's this wonderful correlation, coalition that she's created in these lines.
0: And you just see how virtuosic. Dove is, just how in control of the language. That line break probably sold me on the poem before I got any farther, just what can she be? And to to leave you to sit with that thought for as long as your brain can come up with answers, right? What Mm -hmm. can she be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also really I find myself intrigued by the line break that's also a stanza break at the end of the next stanza, that Uh, I don't know where to start to to kind of bring us into it but this is Dear Mammy We Can't Help and this is without commas without punctuation Dear Mammy We Can't Help but hug you crawl into your generous lap tease you with arch in your window so we can feel that much more wicked and youthful and sleek but oh what like all of that there are I guess five lines but no punctuation you're just kind of propelled through the poem and then that stands a break, but oh, what we forgot. She gets us sort of revved up and moving and sort of rolling almost downhill, and then we pull out of that mammy figure that is giving, say, viewers a sense of themselves as being everything that she is not, right, or everything that we think she is not. And she pulls us up short, and then sends us into a, a stanza that that gives us not who she appeared to be on camera, but who she was in her own life—the four husbands, the phantom pregnancy, and so forth.
1: Well, and your celebrated icebox cake—I I, want—I <laughs> want a piece of that. Um, I think you absolutely nailed it in terms of this moment because that comes after the the dear mammy part comes after this catalog, which starts earlier than we mentioned, Hi Hat Hattie, Mama Mac, Her haughtiness. Those alliterations are so wonderful So much fun to read. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it has this kind of, um, you know, naming is so important, uh, period. But in black culture, it's everything in many ways. People are renamed, nicknamed, all these things. But then, Mm -hmm. Dear Mammy We. And I think that unnamed we is just as important there. And reading it over, it sort of switches from this kind of description, let's call it a portrait of her, Mm -hmm. to this we. And and suddenly we're part of the poem. We've been there all along, but suddenly we're named. And I think it also makes us, as you say, aware that we've forgotten something, you know. And even if you think you know, she's Mm -hmm. reminding us. And, you know, that's the most interesting, like, three-line biography, The Four Husbands, The Phantom Pregnancy, Your Famous Parties, Your Celebrated Icebox Cake. I mean, those sounds are great. Your Celebrated Icebox Cake. So we have that kind of shorthand almost that is more hand in a way than what was before because, Mm -hmm. you know, those are novels, each one of those little phrases. And what we've gotten before is her haughtiness. Her exterior, let's call it, yeah. but I think it's just as important that she brings us into this interior with our our wishes, and suddenly we're addressing the you, which mm-hmm. continues throughout the poem. She's no longer she; she's you, and that shift is so subtle but so necessary and so powerful till the end.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, the the, the moment of address. I mean, artist to artist, you might say. Uh, yeah, That's it right. is. It is beautiful. And it ends on the on the pronoun you, um, which is not McDaniel, but uh, anyone who dared presume that they knew more about what she needed to do than she did. Right. Mm-hmm that's a good
1: idea. I'll start right now by eliminating you. We all wish we had that comeback. You know, that's one of those things you're, you remember on the staircase leaving the party to be <laughs> able to, the in the moment, egg. like bring it to the fore. Wow. And yeah. then, then is she or isn't she? I love that. What, what do you make of that? It's so beautiful, but what do you make of that?
0: Well, there's, I have this feeling that it, it's an echo from a a cosmetics commercial or a hair dye commercial or something like that is she or isn't she dying her hair or something along those lines it's just this from that generation uh, doves my own I guess to a certain extent if you remember that language you know instantly we're, we're talking about sort of women's mystique the person behind the mask how you project one image and Only those who are really intimate with you know who you are.
1: Mm. I think it's Louise Beavers who had to go to training to speak, quote, dialect, you know, (laughs) and and stuff like that is just wild, you know, we're in a wild world of you got to go to training to learn what you're supposed to speak like and supposedly everyone speaks like. And you know uh the the quote like I'd rather be playing a maid than being a maid, you know, yeah, though there's you know my family was a long line of domestic workers who sent people through college doing that, exactly. so I think there's there's a lot of nobility that's being conjured, but then there's also this no matter hattie like no matter. It, it's like you're we're back in this moment, all that history, all that stuff, the pride, the conflicts the what have you? It doesn't matter. It's a long, beautiful walk into that flower-smothered standing ovation. So go on. You know, yes. I love that break.
0: Another and make beautiful them
1: line. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, it 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 sidelines so much of the ugliness, right? Mm. Just for a moment, in a moment that really intriguingly, um, the poet asserts anyway that. McDaniel is in control of the time of that moment, the duration of that moment. Go on and make them wait. I mean, when you start to talk about a black person arriving late for anything, there's you know, there's jokes behind that. There's a, a sort of a cultural embrace behind that, and and obviously uh, a stereotype that's viewed negatively by by some. All sort of bound up in that and. Um, this is the moment where this idea of, you know, CP time is <laughs> is revealed to have um, have a weaponized <laughs> right. side. <laughs> right. Again, if we don't know the full
1: context, this is her arriving to eventually ultimately get her Academy Award, the first black person to receive an Oscar.
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, and for Gone with the Wind in 1939. But she segregated away you know she can't be with the rest of the folks and her speech, which I just remember almost the aftermath of where she starts to cry, you know this is the moment before that moment right and I would write I would write a poem about like her crying or something or or the the movie and actually dove by picking the right occasion and you know, I, I don't think there's enough said about the occasion of a poem. Like, what's the moment? What makes someone write the poem? A, but also, what's that moment that it's encapsulating? It's so perfectly picked, and um, it tells us more than maybe even all these other anecdotes.
0: You know, I had not thought about that, Kevin. And, and you're right. I mean, just to, to decide the the moment that um, that. Dove wants in the frame of her camera lens, right? It's a beautiful moment and and more important than any kind of a revisiting we get the, the gesture towards Gone with the mm-hmm. Wind with the red petticoat mm-hmm. um, you know, I grew up um, watching that movie uh, and you see that just that line and it takes you exactly to the moment in the film and all of the ambivalence that as a black person watching you you can't help but just sort of stew in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, not, we're not lingering there. We're at the moment when perhaps she has the most power yeah. in her career, right? Right, right.
1: Well, I think that's beautifully put. I I didn't grow up seeing Gone with the Wind and only saw it as a grown person at the Terra Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. (laughs) And the audience was not how you think. It was older black women, black men, and gay white men. It was like a really mixed, wonderful audience who have changed that movie's audience. And so I think there's a really interesting read also of this poem that this poem provides that actually the star is not... Scarlett O'Hara or you know uh, anything like that it's this moment so I love that kind of reversal inversion um, you know rereading revision however you want to think of it that's so simple but also so beautifully put
0: it's the ambivalence that I referred to earlier I mean you you are confronted with some of the stereotypes that get written into the, the character but There are ways in which, I mean, think about it. This is a moment when a mammy character, and you should just hear all the scare quotes around the word, right? But the mammy character, we get a glimpse of her having some kind of a sexuality, red petticoats. Mm. Mm. You know, like, there's so much going on. And it's not to say that Gone with the Wind was written for me or made for me. That's clearly not the case. But I think this poem invites us, among many other things that it does, it invites us to to understand what black people have had to do, not only as actors with these kinds of limited roles, but then as audiences to make these moments, if not these entire films, to find moments to take pleasure in. Cursing out the the silly daughters. (laughs) Like, who who gets to do that? Well, she gets to do that.
1: Right. 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 Really well said. Now, in our February 13th, 2023 issue, The New Yorker published your poem, The Blessings, which we'll hear you read in a moment. Is there anything you'd like to say about the poem first? Anything listeners should know going in?
0: Hmm. I mean, um, I guess... Going in, I would just say that those of us who are sort of uh, readers of black literature will will find some Easter eggs in here. it's <laughs> it, It's a little bit of a love letter um, to some of the figures that I admire and carry with me, um, even though that's not the thrust of this poem. Uh, this is a poem that I'll say I, I kind of intend it as an anthem, perhaps.
1: All right, well, let's hear it. Here's Evie Shockley reading her poem, The Blessings.
0: The Blessings. I gave mine away, not all, but the greater portion, some would say. I gave away the ready claim to goodness, to purpose. I gave away Mary, Sarah, and Isis. I gave away necessity and invention. I gave away a whole holiday, but I kept Billy. I gave away the chance to try and fail to have it all. I gave away the one thing that makes some men pay. I gave away the pedestal, the bouquet. I gave away Nell Wright, but I kept Sula Peace. I gave away the fine-tooth comb, but kept the oyster knife. I gave away the first word the new mouth forms, the easiest to parlay across so many languages. Escaping the maw, I gave away the power to hold and be held in sway, but I kept Cho, Parton, Finney, Chapman, and Tomei. I gave away the Eve who left the garden that day, but kept the cool, green, shady, fruitless, fruitful stay, the evening that did not fall away.
1: That was The Blessings by E.B. Shockley. I'm Alex Schwartz.
0: I'm Nomi Fry.
1: I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.
0: Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation
1: of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out.
0: I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene.
1: (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get
0: podcasts.
1: You really don't want to miss this.
0: Don't. Don't miss this.
1: Don't miss it. See you soon.
0: (laughs) With access to so much information, it's hard to feel like an informed, discerning citizen. That's why on Make Me Smart, which is a podcast from Marketplace, we make it easy for you to stay in the know. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdahl. Every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I unpack the latest from Washington, D.C. The Senate minority leader has announced that he will step down as the Republican leader. What's happening in AI? Uh, I mean, don't buy at the top, but holy cow, artificial intelligence and all the companies related to it are the, the hot new thing. And we do the numbers. So as a refresher, inflation is the rate of increase in the prices of things. It's not just sort of things getting more expensive. It's a speed at which things get more expensive. Because in a world that's constantly changing, we all need to stay smart. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I love hearing all that rhyme, which you've embedded. You know, if you are hearing the poem for the first time, you make these connections. But when you see the poem, it kind of twists and turns and and you come across it. I think the place where it strikes me first, when you say, I gave away the pedestal, the bouquet, I gave away, you know, there's that lovely kind of repetition in the poem. And I love hearing the fine-tooth comb and the oyster knife. Now, you're the Zora (laughs) Neale Hurston professor, uh, so we need to uh, explain to you, and I don't want to give away all of the Easter eggs, as you put it, but, you know, that Hurston quote, you know, I'm too busy sharpening my oyster knife. It's so wonderful, this idea of her not being worried uh, and this speaker in the anthem, as you put it, that's being part of it. I wonder how this poem came. Did it come as sort of entwined and rhymed, or or is that something that uh, the form you wanted to make it happen? Or, it, you know, poems have their own will sometimes it can feel, but what, what how did it come about?
0: You know, that's, that's a really great question. At a certain point, I realized I had the potential to do—I think there's actually a technical term for this where there's like a single rhyme that just repeats through a poem. But I didn't set out to do that. I think it may have been just the away and say and and you just you kind of uh, hear it yourself as you're as you're writing, you're rereading the lines, trying to to find the momentum. And once I knew I wanted to have the anaphora, the away kept calling other rhymes to it. So that. That wasn't a plan, but it became part of the engine that right. that kept me writing. Mm-hmm. Well, and
1: you have that kind of almost blues quality, yes but no, you know, mm-hmm. this but that, you know, and that kind of break, that caesura in the blues or even the way that the blues has these two repeating rhyming couplet or the same line, I should say, rhymed again, and then this third line that goes somewhere else, you know, often quite undercutting, it seems to me, that's lurking behind uh, in a powerful way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I should I should have known that you would go to um, the blues, <laughs> Kevin, for sure. <laughs>
1: uh, guilty as charged. I mean, um, but you you know you have here. I we had mentioned uh, Billy Holiday earlier. Mm-hmm. I gave away a whole holiday, but and you read it so wonderfully. But I kept Billy. You know, this kind of <laughs> like hey, you know, because you got me on that one. I was like, oh, we're going to holidays now, but oh no, we're still in this realm of naming yeah. and renaming. You know, there's that roll call, shout outs. You know, yes. uh, the most black thing on earth. You know, and here's my shout outs. And you know, p- settle in. You're going to get a long list of roll call, <laughs> and, and it's a way of honoring either the ancestors or uh, the selves and the people who've gone before. Yeah. And uh, how did you think about that? Did you think about it as as a kind of naming in a black way?
0: Yes, for sure. I mean, the inspiration for this poem, I think I've told um, some people this, but maybe not you, um, came from listening to this podcast. You had...
1: <laughs> now you're just trying to get invited back. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: anything to be in conversation with you, Kevin. But I remember vividly just where I was in my house listening to you. I think you were talking to Vijay, and it was about a Plath poem. And some gesture like she can call on Mary or, you know, when she's Mm -hmm. writing about her own mother. And I thought, well, you know, I can call on Mary, but not in the sense of um, being a mother since since I'm not a mother. And it gave me this – it was just this idea that I could – call on certain other women who like me had chosen or had ended up for whatever reason not uh, having kids and that I could you know sort of pull all that power together into a single poem you know I'm thinking back to the the reference to the blues and and to the fact that some people have read this poem as a as a sad one and I think, maybe people who have children. <laughs> uh, but this is not a poem that's sad about not having children. This is a poem that's sad about the ways that the society has made it difficult for for people to make that choice. There's a kind of a, an edge of Uh, release in this poem from all the years that I had to argue, not least of all with my own mother, but, you know, um, having to kind of argue with people who, much less than my mother, (laughs) shouldn't even feel uh, a stake in whether I have children or not. And to kind of own that decision and, uh, like you say, roll call other women who have made lovely lives in that choice.
1: Well, I love how you put that. It's so beautifully said. I love too how, in the end of the poem, you bring your name in. Mm. Yeah. A version, I should say. No. How do you How do you think about that? I mean, was that like just lurking there? Were you like thinking of a puzzle where you do that? You make a line at the end about your name. How did that happen? And I'm, forgive me if I'm overstepping by saying it, it's an echo of your no. name. But for me, that that was just this brilliant another brilliant way of you digging into the double meanings of Eve of course uh, the biblical Eve but also this evening that did not fall away which I never thought as a tragic thing I thought it was like a triumphant one so tell me about that
0: you're you're right that writing Hazel's uh, over time and and trying to find different ways of bringing my name into the final couplet has, you know, really um, attuned my ear for uh, the moment when my name is embedded in words like evening. I'm also very, for the same reason, attuned to the fact that Eve means life for the reasons that we can imagine. So this idea that this is not a fall, a loss, but a celebration of the life of myself, my my own life, rather than a new life, you know, so to speak. I like that that's available in there, and I like I like name checking. Um, you know, Margaret Cho, Dolly Parton, uh, and especially Nikki Finney, uh, Tracy Chapman. I I love um, you know being able to kind of pull that circle together um, around me. Well, and you're you're invoking
1: myth uh, and making it too, and I think. Poems often do that, because you're also talking about fictional figures like Sula. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean myth in the sense we say things are fake. I mean myth in the generating original primary utterance. And I think that's so powerful. Yeah. Is the lowercase part of that? Tell me <laughs> about that.
0: You know, I I get asked questions about my lowercasing a <laughs> I lot. mean, I,
1: I uh, can understand why, but I want to hear your... Version
0: of why? No, understood. Understood. Um, I mean, if if you're just sort of uh, being introduced to my work through this poem, then you know I can imagine that you would sit with those choices um, not to use uh, capital letters for the eyes, for the names, um, or or anything else, and and think about ways of reading that within the poem but for me it's an aesthetic gesture. I, I use this convention in all of my poetry um, and in a sense it's another connection that I like to draw between myself and poets like Lucille Clifton and Sonia Sanchez. I like that it gives your eye no particular place to, to look or to rest, um, that then you have a chance to to look at each word and determine its importance in the sentence or in the line um, based on what it's doing. And it allows me to do things like uh, surprise you with Billy when you, you know, right. come across Holiday, right? right holiday right. can can play those double roles um, more easily. So those are some of the reasons why I do the lower casing. Um, right. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, June Jordan, who I knew a little bit, put it mm-hmm. so wonderfully in terms of vertical rhythm, as she would put it. And she talked about that. And I feel that, like, she would have said that, I feel, about this poem. It has that downward uh, motion that she said was one of the big inventions of the Black arts poets, some of whom you've name-checked just now. And I think that the lowercase I, for me, from Black Arts and Beyond, isn't like the humble I of modernism before. It's really more like a kind of... Uh, spoken eye. Mm-hmm. It's it's a confident self. It's many things. And I think you even see it in the beginning. It would be a really different poem if it was because it, ha- it has a number of eyes in the mm-hmm. repetition. If it was capital, it'd be a lot of sort of mask. And I feel like we're getting self.
0: Oh, I love the way you put that. I mean, I do think that it allows the emphasis in that anaphora to really lie on the idea of giving and away right uh, mm. and those are more important than the i or i yeah. want it to be an i that any woman who would like to slip into it can slip into it right but right. i want you to be thinking about the fact that this is not lost this is gift yeah. um you know yeah
1: well and giving away the poem makes clear isn't the same as loss exactly um uh, But I love that contrast, and it just so happens that both the poems today, the title isn't quite the first line of this poem, but it certainly is uh, referring to uh, that, and so I I love the way that that, those two poems, The Dove and yours, uh, chime as well.
0: Oh, it, it feels like such a an honor and a pleasure to have my work sort of in the same conversation with hers. Um, she's just amazing. Is this in
1: a book yet? Is this in Suddenly We?
0: This is. This is in Suddenly We. It was perhaps one of the last two or three poems that I added to the manuscript before finally Wesleyan Snatched it out of my uh, <laughs> my fingers. <laughs> are you are you a mad
1: reviser? Are you thinking about the hole all the time? Or are you? Adding and, you know, just building where you build organically.
0: I mean, in terms of manuscripts, I am a big reviser. Maybe less so in terms of poems. Um, My process is different from some of the the diehard revisers. But with manuscripts, I'm always figuring out what it is until the very last second. And often some of the last poems that come in are really like clinchers. And and I think it's partly because I don't write books. I I just, I write poems and find manuscripts over time. And so it it really is, I think, a big discovery process for me. And yeah, I think I, I was learning how much a certain 360-degree view of black womanhood was a subtext of Suddenly We, I mean, which is a book that's primarily about thinking in solidarity and coalition, thinking about how we form collectivities and wanting to make connections out of my own or anyone's own subject position across to, to things that we have in common um, with everyone, if nothing more than the fact that we live on this earth. So that was the main thrust of the manuscript, but is that all? You were <laughs> <you're, laughs> just that. I was
1: just writing a poem about everyone on Earth connected. <laughs> just just a book. Just a book.
0: <laughs> I really tried. I tried to write those poems again and again. But you know, and but and um, as as one might say, looking back to to that original Lucy um, uh, mm-hmm. in in the cradle of civilization, um, you know, I I think that it. Became clear to me that I could do a lot of that work, or I was doing a lot of that work, um, very grounded in looking at Black women, myself, and and many many others, what we've gone through, and ways that we have found to to make connections or to survive, um, just just to, to get through things. Um, so, so yeah, this book, uh, this poem, felt like a another dimension in that three dimensionality that that wasn't in the book before and I'm really glad it made it in.
1: Well so are we. Thank you so much, Evie, for talking with us today.
0: Oh, it's been a true pleasure. Really appreciate it.
1: The Blessings by Evie Shockley, as well as Rita Dove's Hattie McDaniel Arrives at the Coconut Grove, can be found on New Yorker dot com. Rita Dove's most recent book is Playlist for the Apocalypse. Evie Shockley's latest collection is Suddenly We.
0: You may subscribe to this podcast, the Fiction Podcast, the Writer's Voice Podcast, and the Politics and More Podcast by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. You can hear more poetry read by the authors on newyorker.com and the New Yorker app, available from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Corner... By Christian Scott Atunde Ajua, courtesy of Stretch Music and Ropadope. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Michelle Moses, with help from Hannah Eisenman. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker.